Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, November 20th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. More states are implementing tougher restrictions as the U.S. sets new records for new COVID cases. The somber news comes as Pfizer files for emergency use authorization for its vaccine, which could be administered as early as next month. Plus, President Trump using the power of his office to attempt to persuade Republicans in Michigan to overturn the will of the voters and select them instead. And President-elect Joe Biden says the president's efforts to overturn election results are irresponsible as his transition team becomes increasingly frustrated. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. And we begin with this. Daily cases of coronavirus are setting new records, surpassing 187,000 on Thursday. The CDC urging people to cancel holiday travel. Meanwhile, the White House holding a briefing for the first time in months. Dr. Anthony Fauci telling Americans the vaccines will be safe. Lorraine Casares has more details. The U.S. inching closer to 200,000 cases a day, reporting more than 187,000 cases on Thursday. More than 2,000 people died and hospitalizations have reached an all-time high. The CDC is urging Americans not to travel for Thanksgiving and to celebrate only with people in your own household. Some people have said, you know, gather at Thanksgiving and regather for your funeral on New Year's Day. And that's a bleak way to put it. But at this point, we really have to be honest. In California, Governor Gavin Newsom issuing a 10 p.m. curfew for more than 94 percent of the state's population in hopes of slowing down the spread. In Rhode Island, the governor has ordered a two-week shutdown, saying residents have given her no choice. And in Minneapolis, hospitals are in crisis, short-staffed with hundreds of workers either sick or in quarantine. We're up here today because we are perilously close to not being able to even collectively with all of our best efforts and innovative care models um, take care of everybody. The governor there pleading with people to stop socializing. And it pains me beyond belief to know with almost certainty that each day I'm going to stand in front of you and tell you that we've hit another record number of deaths. Today it's 72. On Thursday, the White House Coronavirus Task Force held its first briefing since July. This virus increased so rapidly because there was an unusual cold snap that began in the northern plains and went down through the heartland where in the end of September, beginning October, a large number of people moved indoors. Dr. Anthony Fauci reassuring Americans the vaccines will be safe. The process of the speed did not compromise at all safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. It was actually an independent body of people who have no allegiance to anyone, not to the administration, not to me, not to the companies that looked at the data and deemed it to be sound. Pfizer has announced it will request emergency use authorization from the FDA today after reporting its vaccine is 95% effective. The University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, the death toll in the U.S. due to COVID-19 could reach 471,000 by March 1st. And that number is up by more than 30,000 from their last projection just a week ago. Carolina, back to you.
Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. And now Republican Senator Rick Scott of Florida said in a statement this morning he has tested positive for COVID-19. Senator Grassley, who's 87, tested positive earlier this week. These two cases bring the total number of cases among senators to 10. In the House, 26 members have tested positive since the start of the pandemic. Scott had campaigned last week with Republican Senators David Perdue and Kelly Lafler in Georgia, who are both facing January runoff races for re-election in that state. And now a third vaccine is showing promising results. AstraZeneca appears to work safely in older people. This could be vital because older people are more likely to develop severe symptoms and die from the infection. Azul Alvarez has more on the good news. It's another step in the right direction. The coronavirus vaccine being developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca is safe and triggers a similar immune response among all adults, even those over the age of 70. These preliminary findings are from a phase two trial reviewed by an external group. What we don't know yet is whether the very good immune responses that we're seeing in the older people will be maintained as, as long as they are in the younger people. The study was conducted among 560 healthy adults, including 240 over age 70. The news is welcome because older people are on the main risk groups for COVID-19. However, some experts have reservations. Es un anuncio interesante, pero llega a ser una población muy pequeña. It's an interesting announcement, but it's from a very small group, and mainly they're telling us that it gave protection, but they're not really saying the percentage of protection. Even so, is good news, clarifies Dr. Marty, because it is good the research continues on different fronts until the coronavirus is overcome. But another vaccine on the right track. Plus, the ones from Moderna and Pfizer are not the only hopeful pieces of news. Several studies have revealed that people who have already overcome COVID-19 maintain some robust defenses against the coronavirus for eight months after infection. Pudieron determinar que en un gran porcentaje de personas they were also able to determine that in a large percentage of cases, people are forming the cell type known to give long-term protection. These are preliminary results, but if confirmed, they would have important implications for the future of the pandemic, as there has previously been speculations that immunity after the disease was very poor and short-lived. Reported by Lourdes del Rio, Azul Álvarez. You news. Thank you, Azul, for that report. And joining us now is Dr. Carlos del Rio. He's an investigator on Moderna's COVID vaccine trial. He's also a dean at Emory University School of Medicine. Thank you so much for your time, doctor. Happy to be with you, Caroline. Doctor, let's begin with timing. The Moderna vaccine appears to be closer to FDA approval. What are some of the key final hurdles that need to be cleared? Well, you know, the FDA in the next couple of days or weeks at most will give uh, an emergency use authorization to both the, Astra, the uh, Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. But then the hurdles, the hurdles start. You know, the, the distribution, the administration of these vaccines is not trivial. And again, you know, vac vaccines don't save lives. Vaccination saves lives. We have to get vaccines to people. And we're talking about vaccinating millions and millions of individuals. So the effort is it's a it's a it's a huge effort. It's going to take a lot of resources. It's going to take a lot of coordination. And you got to remember, you know, there 
This vaccine is required two doses. One requires more refrigerant than the other. So the logistical components cannot be trivialized and it's going to be hard and it's going to require a major effort at all levels. Now, doctor, how should people's behavior in public change, if at all, when vaccines become available? You know, the vaccines are not going to change how we need to behave in public for, for some time until we can vaccinate everybody that needs to be vaccinated. I will get vaccinated and I will continue using my mask. I will continue socially distance. I will continue avoiding going to crowded places because, again, the vaccine is not going to prevent you. You're not going to be enough people vaccinated to create enough herd immunity in order to prevent spread of the disease. Now, several companies are racing to develop vaccines. What do people need to know about any potential differences amongst the various vaccines that could become available? Well, you know, there are differences in the platform. There are differences in many things, but we have to wait on the data to really tell you what are the differences. The main thing, as Dr. Fauci said, right now, the vaccines appear to be incredibly safe and effective. And I think what people need to be reassured is that the clinical trials mechanism and infrastructure and the way research has been done has put a lot of extra effort in ensure safety. And the safety of the vaccines, to me, is the one thing we need to be talking about most. Efficacy is something we need to talk about. But safety is really important because people are going to be more comfortable using a vaccine that is safe and effective. Now, lastly, doctor, given the scope of the pandemic, the vaccine development process has been accelerated. For people considering vaccine safety issues, should we be concerned about the speed of the process? The process has been speed because we have been able to compress stages, but we haven't, we haven't cut any corners in safety. I can tell you that because I'm one of the investigators, and safety has not been, has not been curtailed, has not been cut. What has been cut, for example, is through Operation War Speed and BARDA, the government started having the companies produce vaccines. And the reason we're going to have 30 to 40 million doses of the vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer available on day one of the EUA is because the government made the investment to start producing vaccines before they were approved. Before they were approved. That is very unusual. That's a financial risk, but it's not a safety risk. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Carlos del Rio, Dean at Emory University School of Medicine. Thanks again. Thanks, Carolina. And now more than 900 staff members across the Midwest Mayo Clinic system have been diagnosed with COVID-19 over the last two weeks. The Midwest Mayo Clinic system serves patients in Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, states that have been hit especially hard in the latest round of COVID-19 case surges. A staff member says the Mayo Clinic staff are being infected mostly due to community spread. And the World Health Organization is warning doctors away from a coronavirus treatment that's already been approved by the FDA. The International Panel has advised against using remdesivir to treat COVID-19 patients no matter how severe their illness is. Emerging research suggests that the antiviral drug may not help lower the risk of death from the virus or needing medical and mechanical ventilation as previously believed. And now to the latest on President Trump's attempts to overturn Joe Biden's election victory and that extraordinary move inviting Michigan lawmakers to the White House today. Edwin Pitti has the details and reactions from Washington, D.C. Edwin. 
Hi, Carolina. Happy Friday. I can tell you that the president of the United States of America is undercutting democracy with the attempt to overturn the results of the election. Trump is definitely using the power of his office and has invited Republican legislators from Michigan to come to the White House today. He's expected to pressure them to stop the certification of results that clearly give Biden the victory. That is raising concerns that they may step in and choose electors that could vote for Trump despite Biden's 150,000 votes lead in that state. But the Republican leaders in the state legislature in Michigan said that they are not getting involved in political games and that any effort to have legislators throw out election results was not going to happen. Michigan is moving forward. On Monday, they will certify the results that give President-elect Joe Biden the state's 16 electoral votes. Meanwhile, Wisconsin has officially started today the recount in Milwaukee and Dane counties that after President Trump filed on Wednesday for a recount in Wisconsin's two largest Democratic counties, they paid $3 million and the state must be done by December 1st. Just between those two counties, Biden had 577,000 votes compared to the 213,000 for Trump, but statewide Biden won by 20,608 votes. Now let's go to Georgia, Carolina, where the situation is totally different. They finished a recount required by a new state law. Georgia Secretary of State expressed confidence in the accuracy of his state hand recount. Take a listen. Working as an engineer throughout my life, I live by the motto that numbers don't lie. As Secretary of State, I believe that the numbers that we have presented today are correct. The numbers reflect the verdict of the people, not a decision by the Secretary of State's office or of courts or of either campaigns. The results were certified this morning and are heading to the Republican governor, Brian Kemp, for a pro forma certification. However, the Trump campaign has until next Tuesday evening to request another recount if, of the results if they choose to do so. That would launch another process of rescanning the ballots that were hand recounted. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Have a good weekend. You too, Edwin. Thank you so much for that report live from Washington, D.C. And now another blow to the Trump campaign's fight to toss votes. A judge in Arizona has thrown out the state Republican Party's lawsuit against Maricopa County. They wanted a more expensive audit of votes cast on Election Day. County lawyers argued the Republicans waited too long to file and a broader audit will delay Arizona certifying election results. That certification deadline is Monday. Maricopa County heavily contributed to Joe Biden winning the state in the election. Also in Georgia, a federal judge has rejected another Republican election-related lawsuit. An elector wanted to block the state's result certification, claiming fraud. On Thursday night, the judge shut him down, saying it was not up to an individual voter to dictate how ballots are cast or counted. Thursday's ruling in Georgia was the third of the day against the election-related lawsuits from the Trump campaign and Republicans. They have been trying to get ballots tossed out in some states President Trump lost. And now President-elect Joe Biden is ready to name some of the people he hopes will fill his cabinet. The announcement of several key nominations is expected before the holiday. Meanwhile, the current White House continues to block information needed for that transition. Andelinares has more details. 
President-elect Joe Biden offered a blunt assessment of President Trump's refusal to concede. I think they're witnessing incredible irresponsibility, incredibly damaging messages being sent to the rest of the world about how democracy functions. From his home base in Delaware, Biden delivered some of his sharpest rebukes yet of the outgoing president. It's going to uh, be another incident where he will go down in history as being one of the most irresponsible presidents in American history. I think most of the Republicans I've spoken to, including some of the governors, think this is debilitating. It's not a it sends a horrible message about who we are as a country. Biden's incoming White House chief of staff warns of the ramifications of Trump's stonewalling. I think all Americans should be concerned about the way in which President Trump is behaving in these final days in office. Uh, instead of doing what he should do under the law, facilitating an orderly transition, helping us save lives in the fight against COVID, uh, the president's thrashing around with these PR stunts. Without federal coordination, the president-elect is turning to the states, holding a virtual meeting with some Democratic and Republican governors. Now, four senior House Democrats are demanding that GSA Administrator Emily Murphy brief them by Monday on the reason she has yet to ascertain Joe Biden's win in the presidential election. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, the president-elect is weighing his cabinet picks and said he's made up his mind about Treasury Secretary with an announcement coming as soon as next week. And you'll find it is someone who uh, I think is, uh, will be accepted by all elements of the Democratic Party progressive to the moderate. One of Biden's former rivals making no secret about his hopes for a top job. I think something like Secretary of Labor would be a very attractive position. And in courtrooms across the country, at least 16 of the president's lawsuits have now hit a wall, even as some close to the president privately admit his lawsuits are destined to fail. His lawyers are pushing incendiary claims. Trump attorney Sidney Powell alleging election systems flipped votes, German servers were storing U.S. voting information, and election software had been created in Venezuela while offering no proof. President Trump won by a landslide. We are going to prove it. Still, election officials across the country have said repeatedly there was no widespread fraud. President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris are meeting today in person with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer in Wilmington, Delaware. It's expected they will discuss, among other things, the next potential COVID-19 relief measure, which has been stalled in talks with Republican leaders. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And now New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was amongst a group of progressive Democrats who rallied in front of the Democratic National Committee yesterday to urge President-elect Joe Biden to keep his promises to working families, women, minorities, and climate activists as he fills his cabinet. In July, Biden outlined an ambitious climate plan that would spend $2 trillion over four years investing in clean energy infrastructure while vowing to cut carbon emissions from electric power to zero in 15 years. And potential challenges for the president after he steps down. Now that authorities in New York have expanded their investigation of the Trump Organization, the district attorney is reportedly looking at millions of tax write-offs from the Trump Organization. The offices have subpoenaed the company seeking records related to consulting fees.
more of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. The infections that we've identified in schools, when they've been evaluated, were not acquired in schools. They were actually acquired in the community and in the household. The truth is, for kids K through 12, one of the safest places they can be, from our perspective, is to remain in school. And that was CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield at the White House Coronavirus Task Force briefing on Thursday, saying COVID is not spreading in schools, but in the community and small family gatherings. He added that it would be counterproductive to close schools in an effort to contain the virus. And despite that warning from Dr. Redfield, it's back to remote learning for all students in New York City. Mayor Bill de Blasio blamed the increase in cases for that move. Blanca Rosaviches has more details. It was a decision that took parents and students by surprise. Public school students in New York City are being sent back to remote learning. Parents, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to need you to play an active role in helping us reopen schools. But New York's governor, Andrew Cuomo, seemed to criticize Mayor de Blasio for not consulting parents enough. We went through a very formal process where I said consult with the parents, make them part of it, have web chats, have webinars, uh, because you can't just by fiat say the schools open or the schools close. It only works if, you, if the parents are willing to send the children. So make it an inclusive collective process. The mayor said that the city's seven-day average has reached the 3% testing rate threshold. This is not a permanent situation. The mayor says that they will evaluate the situation after Thanksgiving and they will take a final decision. In New York, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. A federal judge blocked the Trump administration's practice of expelling unaccompanied migrant children before they can request asylum. Some parents continue to send their children alone despite the pandemic, and authorities are concerned that this will become a risky trend for children. Madena Marchand spoke to migrant parents at the border. My 16-year-old daughter made the decision that I would leave her by the border wall. This Guatemalan father took his daughter to the border in Ciudad Juarez for her to cross into the United States alone. I stood there and she went with another friend. They held hands and went down to the water canal, crossed over and turned themselves into the border patrol car that was there. He didn't know if they would deport her to Guatemala, but after a year and five months of waiting in Mexico for her asylum case to proceed under the Stay in Mexico program, with no hope of reopening the courts because of the pandemic, they took the risk. 
Almost eight days ago, my daughter made the decision and told me, I'm going to go. I will not stay here any longer. The daughter of this Honduran woman is also 16 years old. After a year and two months waiting for their asylum case, the teenager also decided to cross the border alone. Las historias se I had my son here and he left me. He said, Mom, I can't stand being here any longer. In these cases, the teenagers were given to families in the United States. They were lucky to find legal representation before they were expelled back to their countries due to the pandemic. It has been a super unfair rule that has deported thousands of unaccompanied children to their countries without having the chance to ask for asylum or fight their cases. But a federal judge this week ruled that the Trump administration can no longer expel unaccompanied migrant minors due to the pandemic without allowing them to request asylum. Now, there is concern that parents will start sending their children alone, exposing them to all kinds of dangers. There is a lot of risk with the polleros. Everyone has to be careful and keep thinking that this process is difficult, that asylum is very hard to win. And with the children safe on the other side, the parents say they will try to meet them at any cost. I will leave even if I have to pass illegally. I'm already training. I can't be without my daughter. Reported by Maria Eugenia Payán in Ciudad Juárez, Mexico. Malena Marchan for U News. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers announced the arrest of more than 150 immigrants. It is part of a targeted operation dubbed Operation Broken Promise. Pedro Rojas has the details from McAllen. Federal agents from the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement's eyes are carrying out a nationwide operation called Broken Promise, targeting migrants they say have not complied with voluntary departure orders. We wanted to find out the impact of this type of operations and I spoke via telephone with a wife of someone deported from Texas and another migrant from New Mexico who was able to avoid deportation. Both asked us to withhold their names. We need him because as a man he gets better pay than a woman and I have been unemployed since July, says the wife in Texas. I have one daughter born in the States and my attorney appealed with that argument while I was in ICE custody, the migrant from New Mexico says. ICE acting director Tony Fan made the announcement from McAllen, Texas, and stated that since the operation started on November 2nd, officers have arrested 154 individuals, of which about 80% had criminal convictions or pending charges. These crimes include crimes of domestic violence, cruelty towards children, sexual assault, prostitution, burglary, and drug offenses. An immigration attorney says that the options to fight a voluntary departure order are very limited. They can justify that there is some type of, a, of an emergency, special, especially in a, a medical emergency, um, and, that, and you have to prove it. That recourse is known as a state of removal. The applicant has to turn supporting documents to ICE within 30 days after receiving a voluntary departure order. Those who do not comply with the order could be banned from entering into the United States for 10 years. In McAllen, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.